This is Mormon Awakenings. You can email me your questions or comments to mormonawakenings at gmail or you can find me at Facebook at either Mormon Awakenings or Jack Nanique. Welcome back. I want to thank everyone for listening. Please do email me at mormonawakenings at gmail.com or leave a review at iTunes or mormondiscussionspodcast.org. It's been a busy time the last couple weeks. I appreciate the feedback, and I wanted to start by responding to some of the feedback. Most of the feedback has been supportive, and I'm grateful for supportive feedback. Very grateful. Makes me feel good. But like much in life, we learn the most. We change the most. We're forced to consider the most when we receive things that aren't as pleasant. And so while I want you to send me positive feedback, I'm going to grow more from the negative feedback or the less than welcome feedback. And I wanted to respond to some of that type of feedback that I received the last couple of weeks. The first was a comment that was left at the mormondiscussionpodcast.org comment section after episode 16. It says this, Jack, I've listened to a number of your podcasts. You make many good points. Thanks for that. And I share many of your perspective. That's nice to hear. This part's not so nice to hear, however. However, your tone and manner of speaking seem to consistently exude bitterness and sarcasm. Not only does it appear in your word choice, but most clearly manifests in your tone and manner of delivery. It is consistent and quite unappealing and, for me, dilutes your message, adding bitterness and a feeling of contempt to valid points of critique you offer. It causes me to have difficulty seeing your podcast as unbiased. And despite interesting material, I find you difficult to tolerate listening to. It's interesting to receive a comment like this. I listen to my podcasts more than anyone because I have to edit them. So I have to listen to my own voice perhaps more than anyone else. And I agree with this commenter that from time to time, I'm hard to listen to. I can barely listen to myself. And I'm sure I come across as bitter or sarcastic or angry. Or... And I read this comment. I thought, oh, man, I'm just this bitter, old, angry guy. This is terrible. And it made me consider my delivery. And, you know, Tim may have a point. Tim is the name of the, the commenter. So I'm going to try to keep things positive. So thanks for that feedback, Tim. Here's an email that I got from someone named Andy. I won't read you the whole email, but here's the part that I think is relevant. It said, I really enjoyed your recent conversation with Bill Real. Thanks for that. That was a nice thing to say. And then Andy goes on to say, I think that it was a great dialogue between two articulate and thoughtful people. Well, that's nice to hear. Thanks. But then, while I agree with you that people should not seek validation from outside sources, I felt like maybe you didn't grasp the issue that I think Bill tried to convey, which I believe was that many people in the church are not at the level of enlightenment required for independence from such validation. While I agree that the goal is validation from within, I think we need to be careful not to regard people who haven't achieved this end as somehow personally immature, inferior, or lacking understanding of a higher plane. I believe these people, myself included, to some extent, these are Andy's words, come by this honestly due to the church's tendency to teach that we must rely on its validation, 
i.e. Temple Recommends, and endless other interviews to prove our worthiness for full inclusion in the group. These were excellent points by Andy. I certainly didn't mean to come across as criticizing anyone as inferior for seeking validation from an outside source or granting authority to someone else. This is a, this is a normal and common experience in life. I merely wanted to make the point that one must, if one wants to be happy, break out of that cycle somehow in any institution that's been granted authority by an individual will not unilaterally hand that authority back. The facts are that the individual has to take personal authority for him or herself. I think that's what I was trying to say. At least I, I, I hope that came across. That was what I was trying to say, but I hope it came across that way. So Andy makes a good point. I certainly don't want to come across as critical or saying that someone who doesn't think that way is inferior, that's not my goal at all. That's not what this podcast is about. Finally, I got an email that stated this, Jack, your podcast took a little getting used to because of your lecture style, which is similar to General Conference, which I took as a form of criticism because I'm really not trying to lecture, although I know it comes across that way from time to time. But you know, you got to remember, it's just me, some guy sitting in his office with a mic that he bought on Amazon, blathering, so it's inevitable, I guess, I'm going to sound like I'm lecturing from time to time. Now, these three comments or emails, these three feedbacks, when read, did not give me warm fuzzies, but when I considered their content, when I thought about them, I thought, yeah, these guys make good points. Maybe I ought to not be so bitter or at least be sensitive to coming across that way. I got to respect where people are, try to empathize a little more. That's always a good thing to try to do, and... I don't want to lecture people. So I've got to be careful not to come across as the great lecturer. So those are good things to do when you get feedback from somebody, when you hear somebody effectively criticizing, in a constructive way, but effectively criticizing what you're doing, how you're doing it, who you are. But I raise these three examples to talk about more than just the obvious lesson that one ought to be open to coaching from outside sources or that we learn more from episodes that don't go exactly how we want them to go or we learn more from the critical comments than we do from the praise, even though praise makes us feel better. Because so I think we all know that lesson. But I raise these things to discuss a deeper lesson, a lesson that's a little harder to internalize, and that's this. All comments, all criticism, all feedback you get from other people, it's all just their opinion. And they can be totally wrong. Or they could be right but irrelevant. Or they could be offering this sort of feedback because of their own hang-ups, their own quirks, their own insecurities, and it may have nothing to do with you. 
We've talked about this before on this podcast, and I want to raise it again at this juncture because we've all just come through a big weekend, a big weekend called General Conference, or if you live in the Rocky Mountain West, Conference, which is this marathon of talks about all things Mormon, talks that regale our history the establishment of the church, our claims to authority, our truth claims, talks which delineate our moral codes, our doctrines, talks which tell us what God thinks of us, talks which tell us how God communicates with us, talks full of stories, of miracles, talks that encourage us to do something differently like serve more, love more, repent more. Some of the speakers, before they give their talks, they stand up and they lay out their credentials, their bona fides about why they are uniquely positioned, certified, qualified to opine on various topics. And these bona fides also lend an air of legitimacy or, or truthfulness to their opinions. There's definitely a general conference style as well, a certain tone of voice, a certain diction, a certain pattern that has emerged over the years. The whole thing has a very distinct quality to it. But nothing said at General Conference, like every drop of the ocean, can do anything to you or the little boat you're rowing in unless it gets in. And that's a double-edged sword indeed. And if I haven't mixed up my metaphors Badly enough already, let me take it one step further and say, all the opinions, all the concepts, all the doctrines, all the guidance, all the lessons, all the homilies, all the faith-promoting stories, all the guilt-tripping, none of that will affect you at all unless you agree with it. And there's a lot to agree with being said at General Conference, but there's a lot not worth agreeing with. And if you want to be sane and have your own agency, you and you alone are the one who ultimately has to decide how much water gets in your boat. And as you go through this deciding process, as you determine for yourself what messages are relevant to your life, what messages are worth listening to, I do want to give some strong Counsel, some good Mormon awakening counsel, which is don't let that process turn you into a negative, critical, self-mortifying, corrupt, negative person. In the process of choosing what you agree with and what you don't, don't let the whole process turn you categorically dark and negative and unpleasant. Any more than my reading of Critical comments, albeit constructively critical, but any more than I can let my reading of those type of comments ruin my day, turn me into a grumpy, even more bitter, more sarcastic, acerbic guy. Because it's important that we keep it all in perspective. And if there's one thing the Mormon church is deeply in need of, it's more perspective. Perspective on our history, perspective on our place in the world, 
perspective on our claims, perspective on our understanding of spiritual matters. Because if there's one thing that is not in short supply in Mormonism, it's confidence that we know everything in the entire world revolves around us and our views and our concepts. Which gives all of us this this feeling that we better double check with the authorities before we decide or believe or make any kind of move. Which is effectively a big religious hamster wheel. Having said all this, my view is that there's lots of good, lots that is inspired, lots that's incredibly profound, meaningful going on inside the LDS community. There's lots to listen to during General Conference that is moving, instructive, uplifting, wonderful. But I think agency means that if you listen to something that you think is dumb in General Conference, or you witness something that you think is moronic on Sunday, or you read something that you think is kooky, you, brother and sister individual, have your own authority. To decide just what gets in the little rowboat you're rowing around in this great big ocean that we're all floating around in. We approach other non-LDS religious leaders that way. If the Pope gets up and says something, by example, we'll say things like, well, that's a good message. I don't agree with the last part, blah, 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 blah. Or I sure agree with what Islam teaches, except for that part about this, 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 this. We don't do that exact sort of analysis with our own religion because we feel we don't have that right. We feel like that's cafeteria Mormonism. But I think the reality for anyone sane on earth is that life is cafeteria-like. We choose. We decide. We use depending on the time, the circumstances, our disposition, our moods, what's useful, what makes sense. And anyone who tries to do everything said at General Conference, anyone who tries to execute every command, keep every rule, be true to every policy, will eventually end up insane. Because it's impossible. And for me, that is the great paradoxical beauty of not only Mormonism, but life itself. We're taught, we're placed in situations, we're instructed to do things which, in one sense, we never can do. And by trying what we think we're supposed to be doing, we learn a lesson that's way beyond it. That almost has nothing to do with it, but expands our minds way beyond what we thought we were even focusing on. If you don't believe this is true... You ought to go back to Genesis and read the story of the Garden of Eden. Likewise, if you don't think this is true, you ought to book yourself a session at the temple. Because in both places, Genesis and the temple, you're told a story about some people like you, some humans, down here on earth, who were told some things, given some commandments, but also given some objectives. And then left on their own to sort of figure it out. And as these people who are really no different than you and me, as these people try to figure this out, achieve these objectives, keep these commandments, do what's right, do it to perfection with 100% fidelity, they realize it's impossible. You can't multiply, replenish the earth. 
gain experience without eating the fruit, but God told you not to eat the fruit. And then when you do eat the fruit, you come to the conclusion that it's better you ate the fruit. It's better to go through misery that you might have experience. Well, what is going on here? And for me, the lesson is clear. There's something way more important than not eating the fruit. Something much more beautiful and profound than the Garden of Eden. And we, like Adam and Eve, don't get it, I think, until after we've had the experience. Knowledge, it turns out, and the path that brought it to us is only understood in hindsight, which makes today, now, this moment, scary. Because how do we know if we're doing it right? And driven by that anxiety, we look to fall back on the words of others. But at some point, you realize life is about getting your own experience. At some point, you realize that life is about converting beliefs and faith and hopes into experience and knowledge and understanding. And at that point, you can distinguish between a bromide and a profound message. You can distinguish between something that's useful and the mere parroting of the party line. You can tell the difference between wisdom and the echo chamber. And here's the brightest message of all, in my humble opinion, is that we're all on that path guided by our Creator. We're all going to get there. We've talked about hell before. We've talked about the great sorting that we're taught is going to happen. But I think experience teaches over time that everything is good and we're all headed to the same place. Well, how can that be? That seems to make no sense at all. And of course, it doesn't make any sense until it does. But until that time, take it on faith. I don't usually ask people to take things on faith, but take that on faith for just a second. And instead of obsessing about the end results and your associated fear, start thinking about what your situation, what your path, what your trials, what your joys are teaching you. What are they turning you into? And why do you think God gave them to you? And what is He trying to do? And if that doesn't resonate, then what's the universe trying to do with you? And I'm going to go out on a heretical limb here and say it's more than just standing up and decrying gay marriage, or making a lot of claims about things. It's all deeper than that. Dieter Uchtdorf talks about this almost every conference. He talks about the world being an incredibly beautiful place, advanced, wonderful. He talks about flying airplanes. He talks about mistakes made in the past. He talks about the restoration as ongoing. He talks about life as a journey. He talks about the restored gospel as a source of joy, a source of blessings, of understanding. He talks about church and gospel and life and experiences as being good. And the reason I'm emphasizing what Dieter says is because sometimes we come away from a conference weekend or from a state conference 
or from a Temple Recommend interview or something like that, and we just feel bad. We feel overwhelmed. We feel guilty. We feel inadequate. And if there's one thing life's taught me, if there's one thing that church has taught me, that my experiences with God have taught me, is that's not the point of it. That's not God's message. Even if you're doing things wrong, even if you need to change, even if God wants you to change, that's not the way it's communicated to you from God in my experience. Anxiety, inadequacy, inferiority, these are not divinely inspired feelings. Even when you're doing things that maybe you ought not to, that might not be so good for you, certainly not when you're doing what's right and what's good and when you're growing. Yet we come away still from these weekends often feeling, well, I just couldn't agree or I just felt inadequate after listening to this person or to that talk or we want to feel uplifted, understood, validated. Well, what's going on? Are we doing it right? Is conference functioning the way it's supposed to? Is the church or those in authority exercising it properly? Well, before I answer those questions directly, I have a proposal. A lot of people who gripe about the church being a corporation think there's some merit to that. So let's take that a little bit further. What does every corporation do, at least innovative corporations, what do they do? They all spend money on R&D, research and development. So I want to propose that our Mormon corporation establish a department to conduct spiritual and religious research and development. Let's look at what all the other groups are doing, religious and secular, on the spiritual and religious front. A guy named Dean Radin comes to mind. If you know him, he's a scientist who studies spiritual experiences, psychic experiences. He's the head of an institute called the Institute of Noetic Sciences. I'm not saying he's right. I'm not saying everything the guy says ought to be incorporated by the church, but we ought to look at what he's doing because he's examining things like clairvoyance, divination, presentiment, things that sound, look, smell a lot like spiritual experiences. Maybe they are, maybe they aren't. We ought to look at it. There are yogis in India who claim they can levitate by spiritual means. Maybe they can, maybe they can't. We ought to look at it. There are mystical traditions, Taoist traditions, moral traditions, moral standards. We ought to look into it. Instead, we are a not-invented-here group. So if we didn't invent it, it must not be legitimate. A not-invented-here hierarchy. In our current structure, no one except The top can receive inspiration, direction, guidance. I understand there's got to be order. I mean, you got to, there's got to be order. You can't have just every, you know, rogue bishop running around propounding his own prophecies for the church. I get that. 
I'm fine with our quorum of apostles, our 70s, functioning as the FDA, if you will, or the SEC, you know, the the watchdog. But why do we feel like everything must be top-down? There's no other walk of life that functions well that works this way. Yet we find ourselves hanging on every word spoken at General Conference and beating ourselves up or rejoicing pursuant to those words, depending on how we react to whatever the content is. This takes away, in my view, individual authority. This robs us of agency. And people say, well, you got to do all that stuff to stay in the tribe, and maybe you do, maybe you don't, but... If you got to do all that stuff to stay in the tribe, well, the tribe ought to think about changing a few things for its own sake. Now, people get very stirred up when you start talking this way, but people who do forget the story of Joseph Smith himself, a man who said we ought not be constrained by creeds, a man who said everyone can ask of God and receive their own answers, a man who inquired so deeply and so sincerely. He had visions, translated a new book of scripture, propounded a whole new religion. The second half of Joseph's life is as instructive as the first, as structures, as hierarchy entered in, as authority became consolidated in the hierarchy. Other things started to happen, like polygamy, like banks, like cornering real estate markets, all the trappings of concentrated power, the result of accumulated authority. There's as much to learn about this portion of his life as there is to the earlier portion as there is to any portion of anyone's life. And there's the great majesty of the origins of the LDS Church, so divinely guided so easily corrupted by human proclivities. So many deep and paradoxical lessons to be taken away from the whole thing in its entirety with some perspective. Well, I hope you'll keep the comments coming to me. I hope they'll be critical from time to time, even though I don't like those. I hope that we'll listen to General Conference. I hope that we'll consider what goes on inside our churches. And I hope we can all learn in the process a little more about our own authority, our own ability to choose and decide and to agree or not with what's being said. In the end, I hope we all end up gaining experience so we don't have to rely on beliefs and certainly so we don't have to parrot what's going on inside the echo chamber. Well, I've gone on too long and I've probably been too condescending, too bitter to luxury for that i'm sorry but i'll try better next time in the interim in order to do a little bit of your own research and development check out episode 416 of the podcast buddha at the gas pump until next time